A billionaire dies leaving you with everything. The catch is, you are not part of the family. You are a stranger that just inherited all of the money the family members believed will go to them. And neither of them know why. So how far will they go to protect their fortune? The book I'm dropping you in today starts with Avery remembering the moments she shared with her mom. Everything was secretive, and everything seemed to be a game. She constantly remembers her mom repeating one line, I have a secret about the day you were born. From as far as she can remember, the two of them would always be playing games. The floor was always lava. The pillows were always there to make a fortress out of that. Every single object in Avery's vicinity she would use in order to introduce a new game. Everything in her life was secretive. And then, at the age of 15, just like that, her mom was gone. She shakes this feeling off as she's just playing chess with a homeless guy. Get very much Queen's Gambit vibes at this moment. That is how I picture the scene. I dropped you into a book, right? So it's open for interpretation. You tell me how you picture different scenes, and I'm gonna tell you how I picture them. So I picture this that she's sort of like reminiscing, going into throwback times with her mom playing games, and then you know the guy kind of like punches that clock or whatever the chess terms are. He's like check, and she's like mate. You know, and then we speed it up to her being called into the principal's office. And she's like, mm, this has never happened before. Girls like me are often invisible. Like, I have never been called to a principal's office before. Inside of the principal's office, she's asked to just like shut the door behind her. And the principal is kind of like assessing her, asking her, did you know that the physics teacher keeps all of the tests on the cloud? Yeah, we are here to talk about your physics test. And she's like, oh, damn, I failed. Like, this has never happened before. Like, you know, my grades aren't amazing, but I never failed the test. But also, why am I here if I did? Why am I not getting this information from the physics teacher? But it's actually the complete opposite. She has had a perfect score on the physics test. And this guy, I don't know how long he has been at this school, for like 20 years, and he never had a single student get a perfect score. So this is kind of hella sus, okay? So the principal is just basically saying, mm, Willie, you cheated on this test. Would you be ready to take it again? She's like, yeah, here and now, bring it on. Bring the new test. I'm going to prove that these were my answers, that I have acquired the knowledge. <laughs> I'll take it and prove that this was actually me. It was all the knowledge that I have acquired in my little nogging. So she takes the test then and there, and then upon returning home, we realize that Avery our protagonist, the main character, she lives with her sister, Libby. And on this occasion, she's going into the house, and as she does, as she walks into the kitchen, she can smell that good smell of cupcakes. But it's not good, because every time her sister Libby makes the cupcakes, they are her sister's version of apology. And as soon as she walks in, Avery is confrontational, because she knows that the abusive boyfriend that her sister is living in is about to walk out the room to have a munch on these apology cupcakes, and that those are because he moved back in. So she decides to move back into her car. We kind of 
think that this is a pattern by this point that Libby is in this on and off relationship with her boyfriend. He moves out, moves back in and Avery lives out of her car when the abusive boyfriend moves in because as I mentioned her mom died when she was 15. As she moves to her car for the night before she was to go to school to check on those results from that physics test, she also texts her best friend Max about Drake moving back in. Auto, I know that this isn't casting, I know that this hasn't been made into a movie or a series, but most probably will, because it is quite a popular young adult book. And I see it happening, but I really cannot watch it with like the casting that even I planned into my head. The name, I did not buy into the name Drake. There's only space for one Drake in my heart. I don't know, did any of the names trigger you? For me, it was Drake. I was like, why out of all the names? Out of all the names. Maybe Jennifer Lynn, the author, has some beef with the singer Drake. Or maybe there are other Drakes out of mine. There are other people named them. Are there? Even Drake's real name isn't Drake, so... <sighs> Move on with the story, please. So, the next day, she returns to school, goes to the principal's office, expecting an apology. Avery's like, yeah, I'm here to win it. This physics teacher must be in. Begging me for an apology. Apologizing, how did I even think you were cheating? But instead, actually, Libby's there. And she's like, okay, this isn't good. If they invited my sister, I might have actually flunked this test. Like, oh, God, this, this ain't good. But there's also a real hottie there called Grayson. I was team Grayson. Let's spoil it all now. There's a couple of characters, two main ones. They will be brothers. Were you team Grayson or the other guy? Yeah, let's not spoil everything. Grayson, super hot. The way I'm picturing it is the way Ed Westwick, Chuck Best from Gossip Girl, looks now. For the young adults watching this, for those of you in your teenage years, there is a Gossip Girl 2.0. That's a no-go, okay? Watch Gossip Girl 1.0 and then check Ed Westwick's Instagram because he had the biggest glow-up of the season. But I want him to act as a teenager, but now, when he's in his probably 30s. Or, or Edgar Ramirez, who is clearly in his 40s. Yeah, yeah. That is the perfect casting. I want him, the balding, almost balding Edgar Ramirez to act, or Ed Westwick, it's one or the other, come on, to act as a 16-year-old, how old the people in this book? Perfect, perfect, that is how I picture it, okay? So Grayson, super hot, mysterious, he has the broken guy vibe, okay? And you're like, ooh, are you one of those people who likes to fix broken men? Mm-mm, I want broken men to stay broken. That is the point. That is the point of everything. And he is very broken, as we will find out. So we are at the principal's office, right? Quick recap, because I strayed off the, the broken way. Um, Libby is there. Avery is there. The principal's there. And this guy called Grayson. Who the fuck is Grayson, Maya? You just lost it over this hottie. Who is he? Grayson over here, looking like he doesn't belong to this school because he doesn't, because he's rich. He goes to, like, one of the famous private schools. Well, he actually tells Libby and Avery that he is there to take them to his grandfather's estate. Yeah. They're about to fly first class and then from the airport in Texas to be flown by a private jet to this 
mention what we will realize it really is. And he's like, does the name Tobias Hotor mean anything to you? And Libby's like, oh my god, the letters were real. We have been receiving the letters from the ninth richest man in the state. And you're like, what? What is going on? What letters? Avery's like, of course, asking the obvious question, what letters, Libby? And Libby's like, well, for the past three weeks, we've been receiving a couple of letters, but I thought they were spam. I thought they were scam. You know, the Spanish Inquisition, whatever that scam is called, when you are supposedly contacted by a prince or some form of royalty, and you, you probably get those in your emails. It's like, oh, this is me, I'm royalty, send me your account details, and then I will transfer you millions and millions, whatever. That's usually a fixed digit. But instead, if you fall for it, you send them the account details and they take the money out of your account. They ain't royalty. They ain't rich. They're actually very poor. Because according to the author, Jennifer over here, the world bent at the wheel of Grace and Hawthorne. So the two of them do just that. They take the first class bus. <laughs> they don't take the bus, why? They take the first class. <laughs> it's the first class bus. It's not mega bus, it's the first class bus. They take the plane, they take the first class, they cancel the shifts at this diner that they worked at for the next couple of days, you know, thinking that they will return. Like, this is still very much unbelievable. And then at that airport, they jump onto the private jet, and this is where they meet Alisa, who is the Hawthorne lawyer. And Avery, of course, tries to milk as much information out of Alisa about what the hell is going on. So Lisa roughly describes that, hey, there was this guy, Tobias Hawthorne, he died, and they are required at the reading of the will, where the whole family is literally expecting them at the Hawthorne house. And now we zoom in onto this mansion that has 30-plus rooms, we are told. And that is just the ones that they know of. Like, there are hidden characters, there are hidden tunnels in there, and People have pretty much lost count. How do you lose count of how many rooms they have in the house? This is the next level reach, okay? This isn't even Gossip Girl. They knew how many rooms there were in each and every one of those houses in Gossip Girl. Here, we have no idea. As they approach the house, there's half dozen cars up front. There is a motorcycle that is driven by one of the sons called Nash, and Alisa loops them in. There's four grandsons. Just imagine the four hotties being cast as the brothers. Delight, delight, the eye sore. No, that's the opposite of what you're trying to say. I'm an immigrant, okay? Don't blame it on the English version of the words that I'm exposing you to. Grayson is at the door. What the fuck is Grayson is at the door, right? Because they're familiar with him. So in order to prove, you see, this is my house. I live here. This isn't a scam. He welcomes them, takes the coats off, and this is when his younger brother, Xander, <laughs> I never actually pronounced that out loud, Xander, like the short version of Alexander, you know, because rich people don't shorten Alexander to Alex. No. Alexander's Alexander's in rich people's world. <laughs> How did the people in the book? How did the person reading this audiobook make it sound like self-fluid Xander? Just Xander, not Xander. 
So Xander here walks her into the room and introduces her to his great-grandma. And this woman is the only one that Avery kind of identifies with. She's called Nan in the book. I don't even know if they reveal her first name ever. So Nan is there and it seems like she's genuinely grieving. Like she's genuinely there not just to hear about the will and what each and every person has inherited, but she's the only one who isn't trying to humiliate or bully Avery. Because she would also meet Zara, and Zara is straight up direct. So she's one of the daughters of Tobias Hawthorne, and she just immediately asks her, uh, are you part of the family? Are you related to Tobias? Because we will investigate. We will conduct the DNA check. Also, why didn't you respond to our letters for about three weeks? Why were you ignoring us? Why did you prolong this? This is such torture for us. And Avery is like, okay, back the fuck off. Then we meet Sky, who is another one of Tobias's daughters. And she is also the mom of all the four boys, including Xander and Grayson. And Sky did not give a fuck about even trying to remember Avery's name. So she calls her Ava and she's like, oh my god, what star sign are you? You look like a Scorpio to me. No, she doesn't. She's the blendies. She doesn't share anything with me, okay? So Avery is like, first of all, Avery. Second of all, Capricorn. I'm just gonna go out of the room before everybody comes to read this wheel to just catch a breath. So as she gets out of the room to try to just relax before the reading of the wheel, we meet another character. We meet another one of the Hawthorne boys, of the Hawthorne brothers. And this guy, who might be very much a fan favorite, although I read some reviews on Goodreads. I think more people people are with me. They're Team Grayson. But anyways, she will finally meet Jameson. And Jameson, the way I imagine this, because it's portrayed really weirdly in the book, it's as if like there is a staircase, right? The, in the hall, in one of the rooms that she has escaped to. And there is this grand like staircase. And Jameson is shirtless and he's walking on the rails. And David is really worried, like, oh my god, it seems like he's grieving. Like, that's not a logical conclusion. He's shirtless. Why is he grieving shirtless? Anyways, Avery is like, oh my god, he's grieving, but I don't want him to fall down the stairs. So she's like, be careful. And he, you know, eventually just, I don't know how, does his walk down that rail and jumps in front of her and she sees the abs and she's like, oh my god, I can't deal with this today. I came here to catch a breath and I can't catch a break from these hotties. So we meet Jameson and he finally walks in appropriately into the room where they're about to read the will. Also, this is as appropriate of a time as it will ever be. But you know Rihanna's song where she sings, like, let the Jameson sink in? My young adult self, as many of you might relate to, you know, <laughs> nobody understood it. I genuinely, I didn't know what Jameson is, right? I, like, I'm a cheap skunk. I drink very cheap alcohol. So I always thought, because this is logical, wait for it, I always thought that she was saying, let the genitals sink in. Like, the genitals are conjoined, you know? Like, sex. Yeah, you know about the birds and the bees. Okay, my reading of the wheel <laughs> not break technology. So I learned about Jameson eventually. And, uh, okay. <laughs> You're so unhinged today. This is insane. Let me read you the split. This is I took this seriously. There's a whole chunky paragraph about who got what. 
So, the wheel is finally being read. Tobias Houghton had about 47 to 50 billion left for him, okay? So Zara and Sky, his two daughters, who you would think would get the most out of it, got only $50,000 each. And we learned that this money will only cover the cost of some debts that they have had, so technically they were left with nothing, but a compass and a wedding ring. And they're like, great, totally expected this. So we learned that the security the actual security of the mansion got more than his own two daughters. So here we have kind of like the inside thoughts of Avery being like, uh, what is going on? <laughs> like, if they got this, like, who got the most money? I'm certainly getting nothing. Is there a point of me being here? The grandsons, Nash, Grayson, Jameson, and Xander, are left with 250000 each. But this money, there's a catch. It is payable on their 25th birthday. And Avery gets the rest, which amounts to about $45 billion. So, she has no connection with Tobias, and she has no idea why she inherited this. But of course, there is a catch to this. She can't just take the money and leave and leave this family alone. Mm -mm. She has to live in the Hawthorne house for at least one year in order to inherit this money, and she also can't kick anybody out. She can't kick any member of the Hawthorne family out. And another thing stated clearly in the will is that if everybody was to challenge it and try to do anything to remove her as the main beneficiary, that would immediately mean that they're going to forfeit their own part. So they're going to lose 250k, 50k, whatever they were left with. So Avery comes to the conclusion that most of us would also come to that they're going to kill her. <laughs> what about that clothes? Like, that clothes isn't mentioned, but just by the way they're all staring at me, I'm about to get killed. And I live here, so there's really no escape. I literally need to move into this place right now. This is when she would meet her head of security, who kind of tries to put some nice words into her to calm her down. This guy is named Orin, and she would also chat further with Alisa, who is her lawyer, the one that she met at the private jet. She asks Alisa a very logical question. Okay, Alisa, let's say an heir to this will, to this whole money dies. And an heir here is, of course, me. What would happen with the money? Like, would it immediately go to the Hawthorne brothers? She says no. They would need to most probably fight it in court. But if an heir, meaning you, dies, the money will probably go to charity. And if you don't move in within the three days of reading the will, the money would also go to charity, and none of you get anything. So you kind of need to move in for anybody to get a single penny. Just as she's out, she says goodbye to her sister, who goes home to pick up all of the clothes, to transport them to this house, as if this isn't about to become Princess Diaries, and she isn't about to have, like, the most epic makeover of the century. But anyways, Lizzie goes off, and of course, she will need to have a conversation with Drake about this, which will result in Drake causing trouble, punching her in the face, leaving her with a huge bruise, and also leaking this whole story to the paparazzi, being the first dickhead to give an interview about it. But anyways, Libby's gone to take the clothes to sign her out of her, you know, the 
poor people's school, you know, just like the public one. And meanwhile, Avery is left at the mercy of the Hawthorne brothers, which, God, that would be a nice name for a porn video. Okay. So anyways, Jameson gives her this whole bag of keys to the main door, and she's like, well, this is welcoming, isn't it? So, like, which key opens the door? But because she is a chess player, she figures it out quickly, and she's like, Ta-da! It is this one. And then the brothers, Grayson and Jameson, they're mostly the ones that will get mentioned. Nash is gonna get, like, zero screen time, even though this isn't a series, so none of them gets any screen time. But Grayson and Jameson are in this huge library room, and they seem to be, you know, having a bit of a discussion, having a bit of a heckle. So Jameson immediately asks Grayson, how long do you think it took her to actually find the right key? So it seems like everything for these brothers is some sort of a game, is some sort of a mystery. Grayson to that response, being pissed off that she was even given a key, and he was like, well, she kind of needs to move in. So it seems like Jameson is a bit more protective of Avery, at least right now. And Grayson snaps at him about it. He says, the only person you would ever protect is yourself, and yourself only. And Avery is there, like, you know, probably at the door, like, not even comfortably sitting down, just like, okay, so this isn't about me, so this this was an awkward conversation I didn't even participate in. But then they move on to the kitchen, because, of course, this mansion has a bowling alley. It has a gym. It has a massage parlor. It has... Uh, <laughs> it has a solarium. It has a basketball court. It has a rock climbing wall. So it would come as on no surprise that it also has multiple chefs. So they go to taste scones, okay? These chefs have made different kinds of scones, and then these bitches are going for a tasting. And the brothers are all there saying, like, we don't taste you, Avery, you know, it's all good in the hood. We are investigating you, or certainly have hired a private detective to investigate the shit out of you, but we don't hate you. But Xander is like, I kind of do. After they're done with the scone tasting, the brothers explain to her how to navigate her way towards her own wing. Because, of course, this is a mansion. Each person has their own wing with a couple of rooms left to them. And apparently the way to navigate yourself is by passing by different portraits of Tobias Hawthorne. Because, of course, all the rich people have huge egos. They just have, like, hundreds and hundreds of portraits of themselves in their own palace. That would freak me the fuck out. But that would also be a really great portrayal in a movie or a series. Because it's like, how many positions, angles? How many angles? How many angles can you have? Like, how many good angles can you really get out of a <laughs> picture and then, like, put those on the walls? Anyways, she's in her wing now. And, of course, because she's the main heir of that inheritance, it means that this is the wing where Tobias Hawthorne used to live. In her wing now, she heads first into Tobias's office, or at least what she's supposed to be his office, because here it seems like it's more of a shrine. It's more of like the appreciation room of all of the Hawthorne brothers and what they have done with their lives. And she's quite surprised to see this, because it is like all of the trophies, achievements, diplomas, like everything just hung onto the walls. And she's thinking, well, 
If Tobias Hotton really appreciated, valued all of their work, why weren't his grandsons also worthy of his inheritance? And here, the words that Grayson Hawthorne uttered earlier that day ring in her head. You might think that you manipulated our grandfather, but in the end, it will be he who manipulated you. So she shakes those words off and goes into what is now her bedroom. And here it takes her about two split seconds to focus on this candelabra that is on top of the mantle. So sort of like a fake fireplace, or maybe it's real. My average people have real fireplaces. Okay, I just cannot comprehend this world. So there's a candelabra and she figures out, okay, so if I pull this candelabra and then I pull it at an angle, this is one of the hidden corridors. And she figures that out because she hears a voice behind her fake slash real fireplace. And it's Jameson. So she's like, oh my god, one of the hotties wants something from me. So let's do this. Let's figure it out. So she opens it up and Jameson is standing there. Jameson will only really confirm for her what she already knew, that their mom, Sky, is actually running a background check, but also the DNA test on Avery to actually confirm if she's some, like, long-lost daughter, or is she actually part of the family, to try to explain this inheritance. But Jameson says something that kind of sets the precedent for this whole book, which we kind of know it does, because the whole book revolves around mystery and games and riddles. He will call Avery his grandfather's last riddle, because apparently ever since the four brothers were kids, the grandpa would each week introduce a new riddle for them. So soon enough, they realized that every single drawer, every single crease on the table, every single object might or might not actually be an opening to a hidden passageway in this house. And in the end, beyond his death, all the grandpa could do was leave them one last riddle and also leave each brother a letter at this will reading. And each letter, Avery and Jameson, will conclude this evening must be just another clue towards a bigger picture, towards a bigger riddle, a bigger mystery. So we kind of see the psychology of these people. The brothers have grown up solving mysteries, solving riddles. So did Avery, even though she was mostly into playing different kinds of games. And now, as Jameson will conclude in that closing scene for the evening before the curtain is drawn for the night, will be that the grandpa left her all of the fortune and all he left them was her. So the psychology is like that Grayson is more confrontational, more broken, and he still kind of holds the grudge, sees Avery as the enemy, as somebody who potentially manipulated his grandpa, but Jameson sees that the DNA results won't really yield too much. The background checks will probably show that this, you know, nerd here is all innocent, that there's no connection to our grandpa, that she is the riddle. She needs to be assessed. See, this is why you need to start reading men from the get-go, before you pull that candelabra and leave them into the room. So anyways, he goes 
back into his hidden passageway and Avery doesn't say anything to her security to Orin, which like, girl, first mistake, what the fuck, why are you hiding your own passageway from this guy, unless you wanna do him, which I wouldn't really argue against. Anyways, <laughs> that sentence went a different way. You could have stopped it, I wouldn't. Okay, the next day, Avery wakes up and she kind of wakes up a bit late. She goes to check her phone and Alisa has given her a new one. And when she checks her old one and puts it to charge, she realizes why she got a new number and a new phone, because the amount of notifications that she got on the old one is insane. And this is when Alisa walks in bringing her breakfast and she's like, mm, the fuck your lawyer. <laughs> Avery doesn't say that. She's nice. She doesn't ask the logical questions, okay? Alisa tells her that she didn't know what Avery likes to eat, so she got her a bit of everything. So it's literally like, I don't know, this tray is probably the size of like the biggest rectangle, like the size of this couch that you can't see in front of me. And it's just like everything that these chefs can experiment in. She's like, okay, great, a bit too much, but sure. And she asks about the people working at the house. So Alisa loops her in that a lot of them have actually been hired by Nash, one of the brothers, and that he seems to be the one who is a bit edgy for a Hawthorne brother, right? He is the one that owns all of the motorcycles. I mentioned him kind of like Mario Casas in Tres Metros Sobre el Cielo, whatever that movie slash book is called. You know, like the leather jacket, the black leather jacket on the motorbikes, doing like the racing games and shit. <laughs> And we learn that he has what Alisa calls savior complex, but Avery learns something else just by assessing her face, and that is that Nash was actually most probably her ex. Avery won't ask Alisa here any further information on Nash or like whether or not the two of them were together, because Alisa starts briefing her on school, saying, okay, I enrolled you, this is your class schedule, like, get ready, eat as much of this rectangle as you possibly can and then just like go shower and you're gonna go be driven to school by Orin with Jameson in the car. So the next scene is Avery and Jameson in the car deciding to share their own letters that they were left by Tobias Hawthorne at that reading of the wheel to see, you know, if they can figure out any clues. And we can also imagine that the other brothers got those letters and they have probably open them and are working on their own. So, Avery shares her letter that literally just says, I'm sorry. So she's like, well, unless Tobias Hawthorne knew that my mother had a rare blood type and that she was low on the transplant list, I don't know what he's apologizing for. But Jameson's letter is a bit more mysterious. There are a couple of expressions there. All that glitters is not gold. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Better the devil you know. Nothing is certain but death and taxes. So Avery's there being like, well, that is super obvious, isn't it? And James is like, uh-huh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, tell me what you are thinking. So she says, well, obviously he died and left everything to the devil that he didn't know, which is me. Why? Because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And just as they're pulling up to school, Avery is left thinking, is she really incorrupted? 
acceptable because only death and taxes are certain. So did he leave it, all of the inheritance, to her because she is the only one in that family who can't be corrupted? As she gets out of the car, she just walks towards the school and she was expecting, like, a different welcome. She wasn't expecting everybody to, like, bow down to her and shit. But, you know, everybody's kind of, like, minding their own business. It's just another Hawthorne walking into the school. Except for one girl, the Blair Waldorf of this motherfucking nonsense, Tia. Okay, so Tia is a piece of work. <laughs> Tia is, of course, there, being the queen bee, welcoming her, and Avery is not feeling her vibes straight up. She's not feeling this girl, but, like, what what can she do? So, Tia walks her through the schedule, tells her which classes to take, because apparently she can choose her own schedule, so to take classes to ensure that she doesn't miss lunch and, like, all the social gatherings. And it's one of those schedules where, you know, it's not, like, in public schools where you're in school like 9 to 5 and you can't choose shit. Here, you can choose to have like most of the classes one day and then to do nothing the next. So she's like, okay, make sure this is how you choose the classes. You're gonna have a meeting with the principal right now and in there, choose to drink their coffee. She offers her coffee, do it because it's her own personal roast. So it seems like she is giving her advice, but then she spots one of the Hawthorns, I think it was Xander, and she just immediately warns her about the Hawthorne house. She says, Hawthorns were a broken mess before you came around, and they will be hot broken mess once you leave, once you leave their lives. And uh, Avery's like, say what? Once I leave? What? I can't leave, technically, you know, by the will thing. Sure. Anyways, here, because so much is going on, she doesn't really pay much attention to this possibly being a threat against her life. And she sees spies with her little eye, Xander, Alexander, and goes to chat with him. Nothing much really happens this morning, except that she finds out a couple of things. Xander tells her that Tia is technically family, as much as they hate it. Because Tia's uncle is married to a Hawthorne aunt, to Zara, if I remember, to one of the people that live at the house. So that is a story for a different time. But Xander would also start a discussion on the letters with her. And apparently Tobias Hawthorne signed the letters off, but he signed it off with his middle name. And Xander says, my granddad never had a middle name. Avery is called into the principal's office. She goes, tries that personal roast. And here, a lot of boring stuff happens. Like, the principal asks her, what are your desires? What are your passions? And Avery is there, like, losing her freaking mind because she's a nerd, like most of us. And she's thinking, like, even if the brothers find a loophole, even if they manage to get me out of the house, I will probably get some money out of it. I will probably get a settlement. Like, I can settle for a lot less money, but maybe I can stay at this school. Maybe I can actually focus on what I really like. So she just bursts out and says, travel. And the principal, of course, says, okay, I mean, if your circumstances change, you know, once the year is up or once you can go anywhere beyond that house, you know, maybe you can 
prolong the graduation, have like a gap year or something. So it can all be done. And Ava is like super positive. She immediately calls her best friend Max. And here we get a bit of the dynamic between Max and Avery, because Avery doesn't really let Max, like, utter a single word. She's telling her how she's the riddle, how everybody finds her to be the riddle, how there's these letters, there's this whole mystery, how this school is so amazing and she might actually be able to do what she likes. And Max is there like, uh-huh, amazing. Well, the only thing I have to tell you is uh, we are getting harassed by paparazzi. I can't even call you from my old number because the journalists are trying to reach out to me and get the story and also don't check the news. And Avery doesn't. She just doesn't. Like, what does that mean? I would immediately go find a freaking laptop or a computer and check the news. But instead, Avery heads towards the archive room because this school has a place that is called the archive room. And Jameson is there trying to sort of use the magnifier? <laughs> the magnifying glass to assess his own letter better. So Avery is there like, mm, I spy, I spy what you're doing, and she does the same. And he texts her, and she's like, how the fuck do you even have my phone number? You see it now? And she's like, oh, Tether's old. He doesn't have a middle name, so the fact that he signed it as Tobias Tether's old Hawthorne means that Tether's old must be a clue. Does it mean that he left them all in Tether's, meaning with nothing? He's like, mm-mm the sign-off. Because apparently none of these bitches in the car, when they were analyzing the letters, spotted that in one of them, the sign-off, so before him signing it off as Tobias, tatters all with the space in between them, where he was like, oh, tatters all, all tatters, this must be a clue. He signed it off with don't judge. And Avery is like, well, he loves his proverbs, he loves the idioms, loves the expressions. So, does the expression, don't judge a book by its cover, mean anything to you, Jameson? And he texts back, it sure does. And then we go to one of the wings in the house, we go to one of the main libraries. And now these two geniuses have connected that don't judge the book by its cover means that probably they're looking for a mismatch, right? They're looking for a book that doesn't match its cover. But of course, this is a mansion, right? They're going to need all hands on decks. Eventually, Grayson jumps in to help them out, because he probably figured it out himself, because the clues. <laughs> and as Jameson and Avery are literally going book by book, which seems like the most, the dullest process, you know, on the surface you're like, mystery, and then you're like, oh, this is a lot of hard work. Well, I have to look you in on the conversation that Avery had with Tia, because during lunchtime, Tia sat down next to Avery, because she gotta be involved, she gotta be on where the action is. And she warned her that the last girl who got involved with the Horton brothers died. So, of course, Avery wants to milk more information, and this seems like the perfect time, because it's a boring, horrendous job that they have to go through. So, she mentions the girl that died, because Tia told her of her, and Jameson said, Emily wasn't just like any other girl. She mattered. 
And we leave the Emily conversation there because the two of them finally apparently went through every book in this library and Jameson was like, hey, we didn't find our objective, but this will not surprise you. This isn't the only library inside of this mansion. She's like, great. So, as they walk out of the library, Grayson approaches them. And immediately there's a scuffle between the brothers here. Grayson and Jameson don't seem to be really loving each other. Grayson is saying how everything is ruined. The property has been damaged, the mom can't even leave the house, and the two of them start arguing about the money, the inheritance, who wants the money more. Grayson, just like with every single conversation, leaves this one with a threat as well, saying that the Hotor name still means something, even if she took all of their inheritance, that people will always be tripping over to help a member of a Hotorn family, and that soon enough he is going to know everything that there is about Avery Grahams. So stay away from my family, Avery. And she, without thinking, utters, or what? What happened to Emily will happen to me. And in his eyes, in Grayson's hot hazel eyes, that is not the name of Kelly Clarkson's song, is it? So this hazel eyes, something similar. There is a hazel eyes song of Kelly Clarkson. And in his hot hazel eyes, she sees that Emily didn't only matter to Jameson, because it just can't even pull off a poker face. So Grayson tells her, you won't last a month in this house. She's like, everything I hear is a threat. I need Libby. I need my sister. So she goes to speak with Libby, and Libby finally shows her what? The internet. The fucking internet. Why Max has told her not to go onto the internet. And it's because Drake snitched. And Drake has given an interview to anybody, anybody that would listen, telling them how Avery, the heir of all of this inheritance, has daddy issues. So Libby plays it and then shuts the laptop down, saying like, you can yell now, you can take it all out. Avery opens back that laptop and sees all of the other interviews related to her from classmates, from people that she never even spoke with and went to school with her, but also from the family members, Zara and Skye, saying that they have hired a private investigator to look into Avery, all of them clearly stating that there must have been a mistake, and that Avery Grahams is not a Hawthorne, because the gossip around town is that the only logical explanation to all of this would be that she is blood, that she is family. The next morning, as soon as Elisa walks into her room, because apparently her lawyer brings her breakfast and just likes to chat with her before school, she realizes Avery is quite bummed out because of all of the articles that she has seen on the internet, and because, well, she technically feels like she's in the lair of enemies with everybody else giving an interview, bitching about her, every single word they utter sounds like a threat. So, Alisa tells her, let me loop you in on something that the family doesn't know. Alisa tells her that the family doesn't have any legal ground to kick her out, to take the money away from her. Because even if they do, even if they go to court and manage to fight this will, then the distribution of the funds would be governed by a prior will. And this is something that the Hawthorne family doesn't know yet. So this prior will was written by Tobias 20 years ago. And according to this will, the family, even if they win and settle, would get a lot less than what they got 
during this wheel reading. So, a very astrological question. What happened 20 years ago? Why was the wheel written then? And this is when Alisa tells her that is when Tobias Hotton changed his name, so to include that Tatter's old middle name. And this is also when the family lost their son, Toby, who was 19 when he died, and he was the youngest of the children. Apparently, Toby died at this vacation home where the fire erupted, and him and his friends perished, but... Toby's remains were never found. And in this will, for about 19 years after Toby's death, Tobias Hawthorne would have left everything if he was to die to charity. So, his kids at best would get something if they were to try to fight it, but most probably nothing, because it was all to go to charity. So, even if they were to fight Avery here, they are going to inherit a lot less than they already have. But this is when Avery asks a question that Alisa can't answer, and that is what happened last year for Tobias Hotter to suddenly change his will. And the only thing she can think of is that her mom died. But that can't be it. Like, that can't be the connection. Or can it? Because how is Tobias Hawthorne even aware of her? Of her existence? So Avery is stressed. Like, there's so many things. It's just traps on traps. Mysteries on mysteries. So she goes to sweat it out. And at first, she goes to a bowling alley. Bowling alley, not this one, of course, because it's the personal Hawthorne one, but was also a place where she would go with her mom as a child. She rolls a couple of bowls, or whatever the terminology is, and then she goes to save her scores on the system. And she realizes that before Tobias died, or maybe after he died, he asked somebody to actually log her full name, Avery Kylie Grahams, onto the system. And after that, of course, she's kind of freaked out, like, it's just yet another mystery, yet another unanswered question. So, she goes onto the basketball court to sweat it out, to check it out, and then onto the rock climbing wall room, and this is where, of course, Jameson is there again. I picture him shirtless. You don't have to. The book doesn't say that he's shirtless but to me, he's shirtless in every screen. And still, yet, I'm team Grayson, because life... Because life is full of broken men that need attention. Okay, anyways, Jameson is there, crying, climbing that wall, you know. It's always a good perspective when you see someone's butt from, like, lower down. This is such a mess of retelling of a story. Anyways, he agrees with Avery to meet in a library later, because they need to go to another library to open another, like, thousands of books to find that mismatch or whatever. Which might or might not be a clue, but they believe it's a clue. And Grayson is just passing by, and he's like, yeah, that's my brother's butt. Let me meet you in the library as well. So, all three join in what, again, I picture is a completely different library. As all three of them are just going through these books, I suppose this is an arduous process, right? They have to chat about something. So, they start chatting about the letters and the clues from their own, and this is where they all figure out that all of the letters seem to have the same words. They don't judge, 
and then that tatters all signage. And the brothers are again saying, well, their grandfather never had a middle name. And this is when Avery tells them about the old will. Like a dumb bitch, just get comfortable with the silence, she says to herself. Eventually, as they're chatting and Avery is thinking about how Emily was connected with both brothers, Jameson says, oh my god, I, I found a book because it's called Sail Away, but then I opened it up and inside of it is a tragical history of Dr. Faustus. And of course, the irony of it is Dr. Faustus, so, you know, the devil you know from the previous letters, it isn't lost on them. But then inside of the book, they find a hidden message with a circle on one of the pages. And the hidden message is where a there is a way. So, in order to reveal the word, if you aren't already immediately screaming the expression, they would need to use red acetate. But they don't need to use the red acetate to reveal the word because the word is will. Where there's a will, there's a way. He loved his expressions, okay? So, will... Okay, the wheel was already red, so uh, what does that mean? Well, the red acetate is a second clue, because what this means is that there is another copy of the wheel, and this copy of the wheel is in red. So immediately the brothers and Avery leave the room. They don't communicate with each other much between these clues, because of course, each and every one of them has played these mystery games before. They're looking at this kind of as a game, and they want to figure it out on their own. So with the help of Orin and Alisa, Avery gets clued in on where... Tobias Hawthorne kept his old will. So, of course, she's just, like, looking around that place, finding a hidden compartment, and she finds a copy of another will in one of these drawers. And this will, at the first glance, looks exactly like the other one. As she's going with the red acetate over the paper, she sees nothing at first, until she comes to the point in the will that states the brothers' four names. Now, they are stated in full, but once she goes with this red acetate over them, it highlights four particular words. So, the brothers' names are Nash Westbrook Hawthorne, Grayson Davenport Hawthorne, Jameson Winchester Hawthorne, and Alexander Blackwood Hawthorne. And this red acetate makes all of the blank ink disappear, leaving all of the four words remaining. Westbrook, Davenport, Blackwood, and Winchester. The brothers' middle names. Now, armed with this information, Avery believes that the solution to this riddle lies with Skye, the boy's mother. Because we learned at some point in this book, I forgot really when, that Skye actually had four different exes. So, all of these boys were fathered by somebody else before she met Tobias. Avery goes to Solarium, which isn't Solarium a sunbed, Anyways, here she encounters shirtless Jameson again. This man just doesn't wear a shirt in this series. Just deal with it, okay? And that is probably why I don't like him. Because I don't like six-packs on a guy. I have just resolved my own riddle. And this is why I'm Team Grayson. Anyways, well, 
Jameson suggests that she speaks with Sky, and this is where we encounter a really weird situation because Avery goes into her wing looking for Sky, and she finds her in her own bathroom, like covered with bubbles. And Sky is like, "Don't be prude, come in. I'll tell you everything." And you're like, "Okay, is this like how to get away with murder? Is everybody going to sleep with everybody? They're teenagers. Don't do it. As teenagers, save yourselves for one." you go over the age of 19. Okay. Sky requests to speak with Avery herself, and she just is really ambiguous, as you would expect, telling Avery that Jameson is hungry. He is into getting lost. That's all you and Emily ever were. Just a way for my son to get lost. And she's there like, okay, sure, what else? You're not really giving me any answers. So the four names, the four middle names. And Sky tells her that she wasn't the one to choose the four middle names. It was Tobias's wish. And Tobias was the one to choose the son's middle name. So he's like, well, that's a bummer. I just had an almost sexual tension of a scene with your mother. Now, cool. Thanks, Sky. So that evening, Jameson does that creepy thing where he's behind her fireplace and he sneaks her out into the garage. And this garage, of course, oh my god, the scenery, if this was made into a series of a movie, this would be insane. Because he has race cars in there. Actual race cars. This is where we learned that this is Jameson's way of clearing his mind. He goes onto a racetrack with one of his race cars, and this evening he brought Avery along. Which, of course, means the next morning, <laughs> Alisa comes into her room and she's like, Okay, so uh, you're all over the newspapers because there's helicopters. Paparazzi here are escalating, okay? The rich people paparazzi are not your ordinary paparazzi, bitch. They're pictures of you and Jameson on a racetrack in the middle of the night all over the news. And Orin is pissed. He's like, how did you sneak out? Like, I'm your security. You can't repeat. This can't repeat itself. She goes to school and now she knows uh, Jameson and her can't really talk to one another because everybody's going to start speculating like they're doing it, they're doing it at night. She gets that candelabra triggers. So she walks into the lab and here there's two only spots where she could sit. One free spot is next to Tia and she's like, I cannot have this drama because if anybody has seen the news and bought the newspapers in this bitch, it is freaking Tia. And then there is one spot in the very back next to this girl is just like looking outside of the window and you're like, okay, we're the wives. Of course, that is where Avery is about to sit. And during the class, this girl didn't really speak much, you know, but she was a great lab partner, according to Avery. And sort of by the end of the class, as they're packing up, Avery glances at her phone background, and she sees this girl that was sitting next to her, called Rebecca, kind of looking into the distance. But the main person in the picture that looks very comfortable with a camera is somebody else. Is this person that is smiling, that is super confident. And everybody's kind of wondering, like, okay, this is either a family member or, like, a partner. Who is this girl? Eventually, by the end of the class, Rebecca shows Avery how to turn her assignments in on her laptop. And when she comments on the picture in the background, we don't get much insight about who this girl is. But Rebecca says she would have loved meeting you. And you're like, okay, sounds creepy. Sounds like that person might be not 
among the living. Anyways, we speed up to the foundation location because of course that place exists and it's somehow not at a Hawthorne house. Like not everything is at this huge estate. And here Avery is chatting with Grayson who finally shows her the background check that the family has on her. And this background check includes the page of the expenses that Avery went to as if like what did she buy since she got that inheritance and the page is blank and she's like somebody owes me an apology in this bitch because I clearly ain't the gold digger that all of you portray me to be but anyways this is where Grayson gives her the whole TED talk that he was about to give to Tobias before he died about the potential of this foundation about how she should get involved in it because of the impact that she can make and they kind of like argue before she sees his point that you know usually with the money, whatever money she was to have, you would think of making a personal influence onto somebody. You would think of maybe giving that money to like a family member or a certain cause or a certain individual to help them out. But what she needs to understand with the amount of money that she has now, the stakes are much higher. The world depends on her and her decisions on where to put that money. Like we're talking about billions of money. And, you know, it's all that, like, billionaire rich people talk, but she just finds him hot because he uses the words, like, imperially or whatever. And you're like, yeah, girl, big words. People that use big words famously have what? No, nobody, literally nobody in their life said that. But, you know, in the customer service world, they teach you to have like, conversational English, to use simple words. Mm -mm. Some people take that too literally. They take it as an excuse to never learn a single long word in the vocabulary. And long words famously mean that people have shut the fuck. Anyways, so they're at this foundation, and I forgot how this part happens, so I'm completely inventing it, but let's say Grayson went to piss, right? He went to the toilet. Rich people need to urinate as well. And as he did, she is observing this map on the wall, and the map is of the Hawthorne estate. And she spots two particular words of interest. Well, rather locations on the estate, but in context, they're words. Blackwood and Westbrook. Blackwood is this, like, forest. Because, of course, it's like a massive, huge estate. And then Westbrook is kind of like the bridge brook area, like at a different location. Once Grayson is done pissing, the two of them go into the car and go back to the Hawthorne house. And as soon as they're approaching, Avery spots that something is off. And she spots a figure in front of the gates of the Hawthorne house that she very much doesn't want there. And it's Drake. And he has brought tons of paparazzi with him. She's like, no, let me, let me handle this because this guy isn't worth a tear on my sister's face. Too dramatic. So everybody's like, you, you sure you want to get out and speak in front of the paparazzi, something you have never done in your life? She's like, I'm sure I'm gonna handle it. 
for context, they took out the restraining orders against Drake, and he's there trying to provoke Libby to get out to speak with him. And of course, then it would be up to her for breaking the restraining orders. Dickhead. Anyways, Avery gets out of the car and in front of the paparazzi says, I know why Tobias Houghton changed his will, and I'm the only one who does. So if you run a single article on this worthless piece of shit that is next to me, well, you will never find out. And she thinks like, oh, this is the crisis management level. This is how you settle it down. And she walks into the car and they go through the gates, leaving Drake behind. Now, in her room, she desperately tries to reach to her best friend, Max, but she doesn't respond. So Avery is like, what do people like me do when they need to find out who the fuck Emily is? Well, they look elsewhere. They look online. The only thing she could find on Emily is an obituary. And she's kind of, like, freaked out by that. Like, who tried to hide this? Why is it all covered, all on the hush-hush? But she doesn't even have the time to think about it, because Jameson is over there behind her fireplace as a creep that he is, because he has spotted a map somewhere. He has figured out the clues. He probably checked out the map of his own estate while his brother was pissing. Yeah, that's it, Maya. Anyways, they head towards Westbrook together in the middle of the night, pitch darkness, super safe. Mm. They head to Westbrook first because Jameson thinks it will be easier in terms of, like, whatever they are looking for. And this is apparently the place where his grandpa proposed to his grandma. So while they're at this brook, Avery starts chatting about Rebecca. And Jameson chips in. Apparently, Rebecca Laughlin lives on the estate. Well, her grandparents have, like, a hut that is kind of, like, at the opposite side of the estate. So, she lives there. They bought it out from the Hawthorns. And Jameson mentions how she's shy, responsible, unlike her sister, Emily, the girl that was on her tablet or phone background, the one that was flirting with the camera. Because Emily just wanted to have fun. We learned that Emily had a heart condition and that Rebecca was very overprotective over her. So Avery is there with a fit of jealousy asking Jameson, so did you take Emily driving? Yeah, did you go in the middle of the night, race, driving with Emily? And Jameson says, there is nothing that Emily and me didn't do. Ooh, sexual. And here Jameson suggests to play one truth and two lies because the other way around is just too boring. And by him suggesting for them to play it, it's only him that offers her one truth and two lies. So the possible options are, I knew what was in the will, I am the one who sent Grayson to fetch you, and I watched Emily Laughlin die. As it usually happens, the most dramatic one is probably going to be the truth, but she doesn't have too much time to think about this right now because they're at the brook. And Jameson suggests maybe they just need a different angle to look at this bridge from. Somebody needs to look underneath the bridge. So the way they made this, in my head at least, how I pictured it from the book is, you know, you know how when you do abs in the gym, and if you do it with a partner, like, usually that person sits on, like, your knees and shit for you to then go under the bridge? Okay, so now imagine that the other way around. Like, you are doing the back raises, okay? <laughs> 
or maybe it was in the abs position. Anyways, one of them needs to sit on each other's legs for that other person to duck their head down and look underneath the bridge for anything that is out of the ordinary. And of course, he might be too heavy and might fall down, so she should be at his mercy. But he is hot, so she does it. Eventually, by doing this, she spots 21 boards under and 21 on top, so, you know, there's no discrepancy there. But when they're checking these boards on top, they find a one that's creaking, that sounds different. So they're like, okay, maybe it's not different to touch or to my eyesight, but it's different by sound. And when they press down on it with their hands intertwined because they're about to do it, they're not. They found a ledge and carved inside of that ledge is either an infinity symbol or what else does the infinity symbol look like? Number eight. One or the other, the other clues will show, but it will be number eight, okay? Because infinity symbol, mm-mm cringe. We fly over from this to the next day because it's a book, okay? That's how chapters in a book are written. Then don't fly from one moment to another because that would be boring as shit. This next bit is super boring as well, but it gives me the funniest one-liner of the book. Basically, Average chats with Tia in school and learns that Tia is going to be moving into the Hawthorne house to live with her aunt Zara because her parents are going out of town and her uncle and Zara live in the Hawthorne house. Anyways, it's very suspicious and makes Avery believe that Zara might be onto something with Tia moving in because it's kind of like an off timing and also, you know, why wouldn't Tia be just happy to live in her own house by herself? But it brings one such an epic one-liner from Tia here, who says, you don't like me much, that's okay, because I'm hyper-competitive bisexual perfectionist who likes to win. <laughs> Single-handedly the best one-liner of this whole book. So uh, that evening, they're all at the Horton house, Tia has moved in, and they're having a welcome dinner. And Tia, of course, as the queen bee who likes to cause shit, she makes a toast to Emily in front of the brothers. So Jameson steps out immediately and Avery is there like, okay, do I follow him now or do I follow him in five seconds? Like, how obvious do I make this? So she steps out to follow him, but then Grayson steps out after her and he says that she should stop playing these games. He warns her to stay away from Jameson. And he also tells her that he is clued up, like he found the red acetate, the red wheel, and then also the eight or infinity sign in Westbrook. But of course, Avery doesn't listen to nobody, because she believes now that Jameson is following the other clue, so she heads to Blackwood. Like, <laughs> do you understand how huge this place is? No, you don't, but it's a product of your imagination. Imagine it, goddammit. It's a mansion. How huge is a place named Blackwood? humongous. It's woods. It's the woods in the middle of the night. So the dumb bitch heads there. Somehow, immediately as she reaches this forest, she spots Jameson. I mean, let's be honest, he's probably shirtless. She's like, oh, that is that skin color, the color that doesn't resemble the color of the trees. And he is marking off the trees. He's probably like putting X's all over these trees. And do you know how many trees? So, of course, two days later, they're still in this forest marking off all of the trees. Like, are they even looking for trees at this point? 
mean, I mean, what else can they be looking for in the forest, honestly? They have spotted Grayson doing the same, spying on them. And on that night, they finally find one that might bring a different clue. And on this tree, what they see carved in is Tobias Hawthorne II. But the second is like in Roman numeral. Just as Jameson and Avery locate this tree, there's a crack and Avery is thrown on her back. Because that crack wasn't just like any crack on somebody stepping on a branch. No, it was a whole ass bullet that luckily hit the tree and the bark of the tree was kind of like propelled into Avery's chest, pushing her back. So Orin, the security who apparently was there all of this time, runs towards her. He calls like the other SWAT team of this mansion to investigate this immediately. And in the meantime, he brings her over to the Laughlin hut, to the hut where Emily used to live and Rebecca and her family now lives, because apparently that's the only safe place. As soon as they get into the hut, Mrs. Laughlin is there and she's offering her tea and Avery's kind of trying to do the math while she's heard being like, should I drink this tea? But then she couldn't have been the suspect, like she couldn't have made it to the hut again. But as she's drinking this tea and the Mrs. Laughlin is taking care of her wound that was caused by the bark, Mr. Laughlin comes in and you're like, okay, where have you been, my man? And Rebecca isn't there either. Avery asks about her and apparently she's out somewhere. And you're like, okay, so this family might be onto something. After Orin and Mrs. Laughlin took care of her wound, she wants to like wash the blood out of it. So she excuses herself and goes to the toilet. And in this toilet, you kind of see Avery's state in mind, like she's checking behind the bathroom curtain. She's paranoid as hell. She tries to call her friend Max seven times and she's pissed because she has just been shot and she can't even share it with her best friend. Like, why is she not answering her phone calls? And this is when Jameson knocks on the bathroom door. He walks in and he realizes in her paranoia she hasn't even rinsed the blood of her face and of her hands. She isn't pulling away. She isn't escaping his touch. So she pushes him back against the wall and she realizes she needs this. So she just asks him, yes? question mark and he says yes and this is when they make out at first it was gentle but then the adrenaline kicks in so they just full-on friendship they make out and we're reading smart ladies and gents we are reading smart and i love it i live for this moment even though i'm team grayson but fuck it up fuck it up avery after this Frenching, after that you away, pull away from one another, Jameson says, I always knew you were special. Someone didn't want us to see the tree. But now she gets pissed because she realizes whoever shot at her must be from the Hawthorne family and it must be because they see her somebody taking the money. Like, duh, bitch, why did you just get clued up on this? What she is thinking now after this adrenaline, after this apparently really connective, connective? The kids that connected them both on a deeper level. Uh-huh, sure. Yeah, let's go with that. Well, she's thinking, does the family know that the money is going to charity? She's back to business. Do they even know if she was to move out? 
if she was to leave once the year is up like do they know and do they want her dead because of that because then they can fight for just any money that is left but this is when Rebecca walks in she kind of like interrupts them and her boots are covered in mud so as soon as she does Jameson just like fucks off he just leaves takes his shirt off I mean it was already off according to you it's off in every scene according to you he's in the middle of the dark in the night with his shirt off flexing his muscles who would play Jameson like somebody like Zach Efron somebody I don't like Rebecca feeling a bit awkward as she interrupted the situation she goes into her room but Avery follows her and soon enough she realizes this wasn't just Rebecca's room but it was the room that she shared with Emily and Rebecca is a bit she's a bit creepy if you haven't <laughs> realized so far she would be played by like somebody like Greta Thunberg okay like really good intentions really good nice warm-hearted but kind of intense and can only talk about one subject okay so uh, if you are a Greta Thunberg fan please don't come for me no, I, I don't know why this is the only person that popped into my head of course it would be played by somebody else not by like a 10 year old how old is Greta shut the fuck up no move on. So she starts talking about Emily again because Rebecca can only talk about her sister Emily, saying how Emily was wonderful when she wanted to be, how she was good to her but she wasn't good to those boys. And because of Rebecca here we find out that Emily didn't like to choose and that her job was to keep her happy because Emily was sick. She had a heart condition and Rebecca wasn't and apparently her parents made it very much aware that Rebecca should be taking care of her sick sister. Both of the boys made her smile so she dated both of them but eventually they found out and she turned it just like with everything when it comes to the Hawthorne family into a competition. And here just like with everything you start to spot a couple of tropes that are present during this book but one of them that I like that was really just like underlining throughout the whole book and is never just like publicly mentioned but you know that everybody is thinking it including the readers meaning us is is Avery going to become a new Emily? Is she going to date both of the brothers? Is she suddenly going to make out with Grayson as well? Why did she make out with Jameson when she could have gone for Grayson first? He's more susceptible to manipulation. There is no question about it. So she gets out of this room and Orin has cleared and his SWAT team has given a green light for them to return to the main house. Her and Orin agree to keep this shooting incident a secret in order to see if somebody slips up, if somebody reveals themselves, because everybody's alibis, including the staff and the family, have been verified and cameras have been checked, meaning none of them personally fired that gun, which also leads us to believe that they might have hired somebody and then let them in on the property to fire the gun at Avery. Once they're back, Avery chats with her lawyer, Alisa, and Alisa loops her in onto the oversight. You would think like this is the first thing that would come out of her mouth, like day one, but no. While Tobias's will is in probate, inheritance can pass to her estate. So the stipulation is she needs to live at that house for a year 
the emphasis on live. So if she wasn't alive, the money does go to charity, but they can also challenge it. And also that foundation that was mentioned before was mentioned for a reason, because there is a whole conservatorship when it comes to the foundation with a hundred mil a year that goes to the boys and Grayson and Zara are in the loop of this. They have the knowledge about the money that would come separately from the foundation. And with the foundation conservatorship, with the foundation money, until the boys are 21, she can't technically remove them from it. You know, the law lingo happens here, but with that, well, she can't do anything until 21, but of course, they will want to challenge that further and get some money from that foundation. There's a lot of money talking here. Now that Alisa briefs her on this, Avery is chatting with Orin, and she's chatting to him about the guns. Like, have you checked what gun I was fired with, like, based off of the bullet found in the tree bark? And he says nothing is missing from the armor. And she's like, oh, this place has an armory. Like, of course, of course, logical. Which leads them to believe that it isn't a Hawthorne-owned gun, but they have checked the cameras in the armory, and there were only two people spotted in the camera, going in and out of the armory, Jameson and Grayson, which makes Avery really uncomfortable, but she soon forgets all about it because of what Orin says next. Both of the boys were particularly focused on the Winchester rifles, and indeed that would make sense, because their grandpa actually does have the largest collection of the Winchester rifles in the state. And Avery is there thinking Jameson's middle name is Winchester. This is my next clue. Luckily here, for Avery, she starts finally thinking with reason, and she loops Orin in on it. She doesn't tell him everything, but she asks him to follow her to the armory to inspect the rifles, so he might as well be thinking that she's inspecting them because of this incident, as it would be righteous of her to do. And as they're looking through these rifles, edged into the metal of one of them is O-N-E. And Avery believes that these aren't just initials, that it's just another number. So now she has eight and she has one. And she goes back to her wing, tries desperately to reach through to her best friend Max, and when she can't, she goes into the shower. Because is anybody else out there, like, really masochistic when it comes to, like, your pain? And when you have a wound, even if it is just, like, a paper cut, you kind of like when there's, like the water, the really hot, scorching water trickling on it. You're like, oh my god, the pain. <sighs> Where did you go there? Where did you go? As she goes out of the shower and is toweling herself, her phone rings, and it's finally Max. And Max here gives her a lecture, because immediately Avery is like, where were you, Max? You weren't there for me. And Max is saying, bitch, where was I? You tell me where I was. Am I even calling you from my own number? I'm being harassed. What is even the name of my boyfriend? And she just says the wrong name. She's like, no, that's not correct, first of all. But also, I don't have a boyfriend anymore because you know what happened? Everybody's harassing me since you weren't these millions, and now you're even telling me that somebody's trying to shoot you, to shoot you dead. So why don't you leave the house? And Avery is saying, well, leaving the house would mean leaving everything behind. She's like, yeah, 
but you are going to be living. Living out of your car, maybe, again, but the emphasis is on the living. Like, why would it be so hard to just go back to your own old life? Because what happened to Avery is you needed me. You needed me when your mother died, you needed me when you inherited billions. You need me and you don't ask really how I am doing. You don't ask about my boyfriend and my relationship, so you don't know that my boyfriend actually wanted the screenshots of our conversations and when I wouldn't cave in and give him the information well, then he sent some nudes of me to my parents. After that groundbreaking conversation, Avery realizes that yes, she only always needed Max because Max was technically her only friend, while Max had other people to confide in and she might not have been like the best friend of all. But they kind of end that chat with a sort of weird conversation about how Avery is going to buy her Australia, like the whole of the continent, not just the ticket to Australia. But that Max might not be able to find another person's phone to actually chat with Avery, so they might not be chatting for a while. And now Avery completely destroyed, having been shot well, technically by a bark of the tree, goes back into her room, but she's really paranoid and creeped out by the whole prospect of that hidden passage. So she finally does the smart thing and goes in front of her room and tells her security about it, and he disables it. I don't know how that works. But he also tells her to sleep in her sister's Libby's room. And as she is sleeping in her room, she has a dream. She's dreaming of sitting at a diner when she was a child making the sugar fortresses on the table. Sort of like as a pyramid. And she remembers her mom catching her do it, saying that she shouldn't be building castles out of sugar, because that's only worth if the castle is five stories tall. I'm not telling you about the sugar pyramid for no reason. Remember it. Remember it well, because we'll come back to it. So the next day, as she wakes up, Libby isn't in the room, but her mobile phone is just pinging. And when Avery takes a glance, she sees all of the unread messages from Drake. And she kind of can't help but wondering why hasn't she blocked him? Like, she clearly isn't responding to these messages, but why not just block your ex, who clearly isn't right in the head, you have a restraining order against him, and might want to harm her and her sister? As Avery goes down to have breakfast, Tia is already there, and she calls her out about the kids, because Greta Thunberg over here snitched. Don't have to snitch, Greta, you don't have to snitch. Due to this, Avery's mental state and Nan dropping something and Avery bending over to help her get it from the floor, Grayson realizes that she is in pain once she bent over to grab whatever Nan dropped off the table, and he realized she must have been injured. She is hiding something. So, after breakfast, Avery now, who is in the presence of Oren at all times, he's always like a meter away from her, is speaking with Libby, who still doesn't know about the shooting, and she's chatting with them about does the word Davenport mean anything to them? And Oren said, yes, Tobias has had a couple of Davenports in his possession. Apparently, Davenport is a famous brand of a desk, kind of a desk, that is most probably in one of his offices. But of course, there's like plenty of them. 
So they're going office by office. As they're going wing by wing, room by room, they come across a spa and Sky is there because she's a sexual being. She's waiting for a masseuse and Orin tells her nobody has the clearance to get into the house. And Lib is there like, but why? As in, it's a masseuse, it's not Drake. Because of this awkward moment, when they get out of the spa, Avery has to fess up to Libby that she has indeed been shot at. And, well, Libby, of course, is worried, why hasn't she told her? And Avery's like, why didn't you tell me that Drake is still writing to you? Why didn't you block him? And Libby responds that she's only trying to protect her, but the two of them have a scuffle there. So Avery continues looking for Davenport's with her buddy Orin. And as they're doing that, they come to a music room, whatever it's called. It has a piano in it, and Nan is sitting at this piano and just, like, playing some shit. And this is when Nash barges in. Finally, Nash gets some screen time. So Avery makes some use of that and asks him, are you familiar with a Davenport desk? And Nash asks her, has she checked all of the libraries? So she's like, yeah, all of the ones that I know of. But of course, there is one that hasn't been explored, because apparently there's this whole new wing that only the brothers are aware of, and that was under construction when Nash was born. As they find the library, which has this contraption, I imagine it as, like, they pull out a book out of the library, and then it leads them to another room, which leads them to a staircase, where they step on the staircase, and the staircase brings them to a whole new room where Grayson awaits. Well, as they're doing that, Orin actually tells Nash about the shooting, because if you remember, Nash is the irrelevant brother that hires most of the staff, the broken souls or whatever, so that he can question the staff more and see if he can get more information. And now we are in this hidden library, and Davenport desk is indeed there, and as I mentioned, so is Grayson, because he, he figured it out. But where we left this relationship off is at the breakfast table, where Grayson figured out that she is in pain. So finally, Avery fesses up to him that she has been shot, and she shows him the wound, which I suspect is, like, low cleavage, but it's not. And she tells him if she dies, money goes to charity, or the heirs if they fight it, and that whoever says try to gun her down, he's probably a family member and knows that. So, anyways, they focus on this desk and they find a hidden compartment inside of a drawer. So, the two of them press on the wood and it pops out. So, in this hidden compartment, they find a keychain, but the keychain has no key attached to it. But the plastic keychain is in the shape of a number. It's another number one. So now they have eight, one, one. And Avery remembers the flashback of her mom saying, I have a secret about the day you were born. But that still means nothing, but she just keeps repeating it in her head until it does. The next morning, Tia offers to bring Avery shopping, like clothes shopping, because there is an actual charity ball that evening. Of course, it's a Princess Diaries moment. But you'd think, you know, upon the looming threat of her just being shot, they're not going to leave the states. It's hell or that they 
do and you're also thinking like well why is Tia there but Tia clarifies that and she says that she's only doing what Emily would have wanted her to do which is kind of eerie and also remember that because I didn't I skipped on certain bits and then in the end everything makes sense upon a second listen they're driven by Alisa and Ori into this boutique where each people shop and of course paparazzi are there they're snapping pictures of everything and she asks for a dress that is like covering the collarbone and Tia kind of doesn't really question that she's like oh, she's just a prude it's fine and on the way back as they're driving suddenly Orin just has to speed up because there is a car that seems to be following them but the paparazzi are following them as well and this doesn't end like Princess Diana's death rather luckily for everybody that is fictional in this story ends with an arrest because the police manages to barge on each side of that car that was following them and Avery realizes that she has been used as a bait because the car driver and eventually once they check the weapons in his possession the shooter will end up being Drake, Libby's abusive ex-boyfriend. And Avery's there like, could have looked mean, motherfuckers, like I almost died again. <sighs> Fuck's sake. Anyways, the charity ball comes around. Avery's whole goal, she has a mission again, and the whole mission is to make everybody believe that she's completely unfazed and that everybody should buy that Drake is the only one responsible, rather that she thinks that, even though somebody had to let Drake in, and even though we find out that even the head of security, Orin, knows of only two or three secret tunnels, like places. He didn't even know about the candelabra one in Avery's room, so he doesn't know shit, clearly. But she has to act like all composed. But who doesn't act composed Grayson? He has the white middle-aged woman moment where he drops the glass and it collapses and shatters on the ground just upon seeing Avery and how she's dressed. Because, unbeknownst to everybody, Tia dressed Avery to look exactly like Emily. Now that comment from Tia in the car didn't seem so insignificant, did it? The dress, the necklace, even the hair. Her stylists referred to a picture that was provided to them and Avery of course snapped out she is really interested into this whole like makeup and like how she looks like. So she just assumed that Lisa was the person that provided them with a picture and was a picture of a model but instead Instead, it was Tia that provided them with how Avery should be dressed like, and it was the picture of Emily. Dramatically now, Avery goes to the toilet, and Alisa comes to find her in there a few minutes after, saying, people are going to notice if the main person they're gathered there for is gone for the night. So she gets out and then proceeds with Orin as her shadow to just lurk around this museum where this charity gala is happening, and she finds this room where Jameson is. And Jameson apparently isn't as phased as Grayson about what Avery looks like, because he says he doesn't really care about Emily like that, because he broke up with her that night. 
As Jameson and her are in this room admiring Cezanne's painting or whatever, because this is a museum, well, Grayson is there. Do you see what I mean? Grayson cares. He cares so much. So he interrupts their conversation because Jameson and Avery were having a conversation about a clue. He was saying how they beat him to Davenport, but he thinks that they didn't find the clue in Blackwood because Tobias the second, he doesn't think the second in that tree that was carved in that tree was the clue. So he thinks there's still something to Blackwood and she should accompany him. But then Grayson interrupts and says, did Jameson tell you that I killed her? Referring to Emily. And this conversation just doesn't, like, nobody answers that question. Apparently he just leaves. And then we are back in the ball. And Avery really wants to leave, but Xander is there and he says, well, you can't leave without having at least one dance. So dance with me. And then he is dancing with her way too close to her face. The paparazzi, of course, taking pictures. And she's just like, wow, you seem to be really comfortable with this fake dating situation. He's like, actually, yes, I was. Because I kind of double dated both Tia and Rebecca. And here is where Avery finds out that that night, the night of Emily's death, Emily found out that, well, Xander seems to be dating her sister and one of her best friends. But, of course, this conversation doesn't really lead anywhere because they have to connect them all in the end. Xander actually says that there is a helicopter waiting for Avery at the mansion. And, of course, this helicopter is then going to, like, hover over the Blackwood. Why didn't anybody come up with this solution at first? Why did she have to get shot? But also, something that I haven't picked up on when I listened to the audiobook the first time, and that is that Xander seems to be in the loop about a lot of things and seems to be arranging a lot of things. Remember that? Remember that. I'm giving you subtle clues on what you should remember. Now they're in that helicopter and Jameson and Grayson are already in there. And as they're hovering over the forest, they realize that they should have been in this helicopter all this time. You would never guess. Because in the middle of it, there's an opening and there's a number zero in the grass. Now they have 8110 in that order and they're on this helicopter ride thinking, okay, it could be coordinates, it could be the address, it could be date of birth. And Avery is running every single possible date of birth. And then she says, no, it's too much to be a coincidence. 18th of October. It's my date of birth. Such a typical Libra thing to say, right? <laughs> to be like, it's all about me. I am the chosen one. Because that is like one of the big tropes in this thing. It's like, I am the chosen one. My mom must be connected to this. There must be an affair going on here. I must be his child. But the DNA didn't prove it. Still, it's all about my date of birth, right? But I mean, what would you think? It's kind of creepy, right? Because that is her date of birth. And that is what the number says. So she is, rightfully so, thinking that it is about her. She again has that flashback of her mom saying, I have a secret about the day you were born. But the boys are reacting in a bit of a different way. They're like, it, it, it's not about you. And by the looks of her face, she doesn't even have to ask the question. Because 18th of October is also the date of Emily's death. 
And now both of them are pissed because they're thinking, okay, our granddad just took this to the next level. This is sickening. He actually found a random person with the exact same date of birth as the day that Emily died. This seems to affect one of the brothers more. It really seems like Grayson is more broken and more affected by Emily's death because we finally get a bit more insight on Emily. We find out that she used to set the brothers on these wild goose chases once her heart was weak. But then she eventually got a heart transplant and suddenly wanted to live wanted to experience all of these adrenaline rushes that the brothers could provide, basically because they were rich. And she had the whole entire school, including the two brothers, eating out of her hand, mostly because she was associated with Hawthorne. So we see that pattern of everything that the boys were saying from the beginning being true, that just by being adjacent to the Hawthorne name, everybody else loves you, respects you, would do anything for you. And because of this heart transplant, because she suddenly wanted all of these experiences, she didn't just want the brothers, but she wanted what they could give her, the frills, the experiences, and it was a rush for both of them, Jameson and Grayson. So Grayson says if he hadn't been at the Devil's Gate cliff, she wouldn't have jumped, and maybe Avery was the final penance, because their granddad knew that the boys were there when Emily died. And finally, this must be some sick way of his to make them think family should always come first. So that night, 18th to the 10th, the night of Emily's death, she was still stringing both of them along. And Jameson broke it off with her, as he said. He wasn't lying, but Grayson didn't know about it. So he thought that she chose him and that she agreed to meet up with him at this cliff because he was the chosen one. What happened is Emily decides to go cliff diving or skydiving, whatever you want to call it, just like jump and dive from the cliff, but she did have that pre-existing heart condition. So the supposition is that her heart failed, but Grayson felt guilty because he took her out on this outing, because he agreed to meet up with her instead of convincing her not to do this, and Jameson blamed himself because he followed them. He wanted to see if Emily will actually still choose Grayson, and he just stood by watching her die. Now, with all of them back in the house, they have that date of birth, but that can't be everything, right? It must be a code that opens something. And they find a portrait of Tobias Hawthorne that looked different than the others. I think the clue was that it was Tobias Hawthorne the 18th, and that person just doesn't exist. So they find the odd one out again. They push it open, and inside they find a keypad. So Avery puts the code in there, and what pops out as she puts that code in is a piece of stained glass and a riddle. Top of the clock, meet me at high, tell the late day hello, wish the morning goodbye. A twist and a flip, what do you see? Take them two at a time and come find me. 
As Avery is replaying this riddle over and over again in her head now, Jameson decides he gives up. He leaves. He doesn't want to play this game anymore. What is he hiding? Maybe he's hiding something. I don't know. Just a guess. Just a wild, wild guess. But guess who pops back up? Xander, yeah, the bitch who knew everything. So anyways, he's like, oh my god, what do you have there? A little red riding hood in your head. Oh, you have a piece of stained glass. Well, somehow I know of a room exactly where you can find that kind of shape of a glass ceiling. And he brings her into this random room in this random ass wing that only he would have known of. And in this room, they find this octagon shape and they kind of do the twisting and turning until the ceiling opens up, at least in my head, okay? The ceiling turns around and the sun shines onto a particular spot on the floor. But then, thinking about the riddle, especially the part, tell the late day hello, wish the morning goodbye, that sounds like noon. So what they're looking for is where the sun would shine exactly at noon. But they have to come. It's not noon right now. They can't wait until noon. So they're literally just like tapping on different parts of the floor and they find a loose board. They push that board down. There's another dial. She puts her date of birth in there as well. And now there's a whole new opening. It's like a whole new board where they step on and they sink into the ground. So... Once they sink into the ground in this random-ass room, there's an opening of a tunnel, a hidden tunnel that the security clearly doesn't know about. And then the riddle says, take the stairs two at a time. So in this tunnel, they have the gargoyles pointing the way. And there's like a clear arrow, so they follow that for a while, but then they realize that's not really leading them anywhere. So they go back to this gargoyle, but it, of course, wasn't that easy because the riddle said, come find me. And they got bit into their heads thinking like, what? Come find Tobias? Come find his body? Like, what the hell were they thinking? Like, Avery was literally like, was his body cremated? Well, did you ever see his body before it went to the ground? Like, bitch, chill. Lay off some true crime, okay? That comes from me. So, instead, she looks on the floor and sees the word me, and it's pointing to a different direction. So, five minutes later, following this tunnel underneath, nobody knows where the fuck they are. It's kind of creepy. They see a wall, and there is a metal grate on it stating me. Once they push this door, there's another drop for them. So there's another drop in the floor. They go even further down, and here is where they find like a metal engraving on this door stating AKG, Avery Kylie Grahams. So she is needed for a facial recognition to open this contraption where they will eventually find a box, but there are also four touchpads. So Xander puts his handprint on one of them, but realizes all of the brothers are needed and Avery is needed to open this door. So Xander logically decides 
you know, whatever you stay here in the middle of nowhere, like maybe this place locks up if I go up. For all we know, we don't know how this contraption works, but you stay here and you wait. And I'm gonna go and gather all of my brothers because clearly we are all needed to finish this puzzle once and for all, unless there is a sequel to the book. And Avery is there like, yeah, of course, this is not how every horror movie starts. Why do white people make such banal mistakes? Xander goes off and of course, this is a mansion, right? It's gonna take him probably hours to find the brothers. So after fuck knows how long, maybe 20 minutes, maybe 20 hours, Avery hears footsteps above her head and we're like, okay, so this is one of the brothers coming, right? But no, it is Rebecca. And if you're thinking about it, they have went down in the tunnel twice. So Rebecca is literally like standing over her, hovering over her. And because we have established that she is played by somebody as intense as Greta Thunberg, she is just creepily talking about Emily again, like, girl, get a life. She's saying, you don't know what your whole life revolving around one person is like. She reveals that she, Rebecca, was dating Tia at the time. And their parents, the Laughlins, forbade Emily from seeing the boys, but they didn't forbid her from seeing Tia. And of course, Tia is, as we know, a bit of a sociopath. So what Tia and Rebecca had wasn't love, because if she loved her, she wouldn't be with Xander too. She wouldn't be double dating these two motherfuckers. So Tia apparently covered for Emily the night that she died. She knew that she was going out to meet with the boys. And now Rebecca, because she felt betrayed, she recorded Emily narrating everything she did with the boys. Because again, she's intense, okay? And her life revolves around Emily. So every conversation she had about her double dating Jameson and Grayson, Rebecca recorded. And that night, when she felt betrayed by Tia, she went to Jameson to play that recording so that Jameson would consider leaving Emily. She might stop with these frills, with these adrenaline rushes. She might not lead herself to something that might end up resulting in her being dead. And then Rebecca creepily and intensely says, I'm sorry, it's not that I have anything against you, but it's what she would have wanted. And you're like, okay, Avery's about to die. Like, it's about to be her last breath because this bitch be creepy. Then Rebecca continues, she would have hated you for stealing their money. And Avery asks her logically, what are you apologizing for? To which Rebecca responds that Tobias Hotton showed her the tunnels when she was little. Sometimes she would come to these tunnels herself, just to chill, just to distance herself from anybody because, I don't know, the grounds of the estate weren't enough. And the night of the shooting, she saw somebody else in the tunnels. Yes, it was Drake, but who was the other person? And Avery is like, one of the boys, oh my god, I'm about to be murdered and also find out I have been betrayed by one of the boys. But Rebecca says, no, their mother, Sky, Sky was the one to let Drake in. And this is when Grayson steps in, of course, because he cares. You see, Grayson is the person that Avery should end up with logically come on, connect the dots, make it make sense. So Grayson steps in and he overheard everything because he's a creep as well. And he says to Rebecca, you should have told me. So he... <laughs> 
This is such a pointless thing. I love it so much. He proceeds to speak with Avery and Rebecca skedaddles with forget that she was ever there. And he asks Avery to let him handle this. And she's like, clearly you won't hand your mother over to the police. That doesn't seem to be under the handle. This in the Hawthorne Dictionary. But he says, I'm gonna handle it on my own. But let's play a game. Because why the fuck not? They're waiting for the brothers. So he's like, think of a number between 1 to 10. If I guess the number you have thought of, well then you will let me handle this. If I can't guess it correctly, then you can do whatever and hand her over to the police. Fuck Sky, anyways. <laughs> Don't care about my mom anyways. Um, so Avery thinks of a number, and she there's like a whole chapter about this in this book. She's like, well, it can't be one, because that's part of the clue. It can't be eight, because that's too obvious. So seven is usually everybody's favorite number for some fucking reason. It's such an ugly number. Anyways, um, so she thinks of the number Number two, Grayson, because they meant for each other. They're soulmates. Come on, Maria, por favor, Maria, tu media naranja, whatever. He's your soulmate. Um, <laughs> she could have lied, but uh, she says no. Yeah, it was number two. So you guess. I guess you handle it. Anyways, the brothers show up eventually. They all place their handprints on her body, and it's an orgy. It's not. <laughs> be incest. What is going on? This is a young adult book. You're 29 years old. Get it together. They place their hands. It opens up and it's a book. So now you're like, wow, huge revelations. Not really, no. Oh yeah, before I tell you what's in the books, there's like a whole less clue here. <laughs> I should probably mention it. Jameson was the one that wanted to give up on the game, right? So he was the hardest one to convince. He was the last one to come and like provide his fingerprints and handprints to open that thing up. So he unlocks it and he's about to leave and Avery tries to stop him. And this is where he says the old man knew. What did he know, you might wonder? Jameson finally confesses that he appeared on the scene and and he saw Grayson leave. And then Emily went towards the towels, so, you know, as she was kind of skydiving into the water, she would climb up and then went to, like, cover herself with a towel, but when Grayson returned, she was dead. That is the story that we kind of knew from Grayson's perspective. But now we get the POV of Jameson, and she Emily spotted him. She spotted that even after breaking up with her, he still showed up. So, of course, kind of embarrassing, kind of cringe. So, she starts calling his name. And this is when he turns around, goes back to his car, and is like, why am I even here? Like, also, it's embarrassing now, you know, tomorrow in school, she's probably gonna get, tell Tia this is what I suspect is going on in his head. And after he hears her calling his name, he hears her gasp as if she is choking on something. But he turns around and he's just like watching her like, uh, this dramatic bitch as if, like I just broke it off with her. I'm not gonna pretend like I care. And he sees her kind of like falling down in that water, like as if she's like crawling out of it. And he's like, wow, the drama queen that needs to own everything. But instead what he was watching and seeing was Emily die. 
And here Avery remembers that one truth and two lies, I watched Emily Laughlin die. And she realizes that he was just trying to show her that he wasn't hers. Let me burp. Okay, cool. So he just left and then Grayson was the one to find her dead. He didn't know that his brother was there. And it seems just by looking at them, the old man, Tobias, knew that Jameson wouldn't tell Grayson. And Tobias was a little bitch who wouldn't tell him himself. Instead, he did this. This whole riddle, just for the brothers to understand family comes first. But then Xander is there like, um, I was kind of in on it and he wanted us all here. Like, why does every single one of you think it's all about you, okay? Avery was needed for the facial recognition and then all of us for the handprint. Like, it's not about one and each individual. Like, get it over with. What are you all like, Scorpios? Scorpio season, after all, choose revenge, choose pettiness. Finally, these brothers chill with their testosterone levels and they actually focus on what's behind that contraption, what's in the box. This is not where the riddle is at, okay? There's a small wooden box in front of them and they need to input another code, but it's a very long one. It's not like somebody's date of birth. And Avery's full name, Avery Kylie Grahams, is written on this box. Now, from the way I'm pronouncing Grahams, this whole time, you might have been thinking that it's spelled in a logical way. No. And it's because of this. Because the old man apparently loved anagrams more than he loved his whiskey, something along these lines. So Grahams is spelled G-R-A-M-B-S. Okay, so it's not like Grahams, it's Grahams. And when they unscramble the anagram, which they do kind of easily because Avery is already a very, when you separate the two words and then they unscramble the other two, and it is a very risky gamble. Once they input that, the box opens and there is an envelope from Tobias for each and every one of them. And in Avery's envelope was a satchel of sugar. Now what did I tell you to remember? Her dream, the statues, the pyramids of sugar, the castles reference. Building castles out of sugar is only worth it if you can go five floors tall. But now she remembers that memory of her chatting with her mom in full. There's a full-on flashback of her being little. After her mom says that about the castles, there is a man behind her asking her how old she is. And she says she's six. So this man, who we now know is Tobias, asks little Avery to spell her name. After this flashback, in the present time, Avery says... I met him. This is how I met him. It was in this diner. I was chatting with my mom. I was making sachets of sugar and he asked me to spell my name. We now go back up from the tunnels and I believe there have been a couple of days in passing here, okay? This is my movie. This is my series. This is how I see it. So we see a couple of angles happening in this mansion. One of the angles is on the door. On the door where Skye is just leaving her own mansion after having packed up the bags. After the Grayson somehow managed to convince her to leave. Because Grayson, after all, has chosen 
slavery. It is true love. It is true love. He will from now on walk shirtless around the house as well. That is not in the book, by the way. And we see Avery opening her letter. Apart from the subject of sugar, she has also gotten I'm sorry, TTH in that letter. So she goes back to her wing to Tobias's office. Here there is a compass that is built into one of the desks and there is a compartment underneath. So she sees a letter T in there. So, you know, she kind of pushes it back and then sees another T and then she follows that contraption until she finds a hidden drawer and here is where she finds a folder with her full name on top of it. Clearly, Tobias, after actually learning her name while being in this rundown diner, having spoken with her, asking her to spell it when she was six, then did a whole background check on her. And there are pictures of her through the years, as she was little with her mom, as she was playing chess with a homeless man in the park, literally her going to school. Kind of creepy if you really think about it. It seems like we have a you situation going on with a stalker being a grown-ass man. Well, probably PIs that worked for him, let's, let's be honest. I think family would have noticed if this grown-ass man was just, like, stalking this little child. But another thing that she notices is there is a copy of her birth certificate and her dad's signature on it was highlighted. And now Avery is confused because she is still, let's be honest, thinking like about the secret that her mom says she had of her. So she goes out to look for her sister to see maybe Libby can make some sense out of why her dad's signature is highlighted on her birth certificate. And she finds Libby in the music room, just sitting next to Nan. Nan, for some reason that fits into this plotline perfectly, starts talking about Toby. But this is not Tobias. It is the son that has died 20 years ago when the will was first changed for everything to go to charity, right? She's like, you want to see my son? You know how old people are. I have a picture of him in my locket. Look at that sweet boy. And as Avery approaches to Nan's tits, looking at a picture of the sweet boy inside of the locket, she says, that's not Tobias Hawthorne II, that is Harry, the homeless man, the Queen's Gambit situation, the guy I played chess with for years. And Nan is like, um, he's been dead for about 20 years, so how sure are you? On a scale of like, I watched Emily Laughlin die and I didn't do fuck all, like, are you dead sure? Like, what level of pettiness do we have here? If you remember the fire, the vacation home, body never found. That should have been a red flag for everybody, let's be honest. And Avery says, yeah, Jameson is also at the door because everybody's in everybody's business in this huge ass house somehow. And uh, we go to epilogue because here we get a well done to Xander. He opened up his envelope and he got a well done because what his grandpa promised him after he leads all of these people to their clues was that when their game is done, his game will begin. So, this letter wasn't all, of course. He, actually, Xander, brought Tia and Rebecca as witnesses because on his envelope he couldn't find any text except from well done and he knew that that can't be it. There must be a clue leading to another mystery. He knew that 
the invisible ink works in different ways. He already tried putting a match close to the paper to try to reveal the ink. He used the UV light. So there was only one kind that destroys a message after it is revealed, which is exactly what somebody like Tobias Hawthorne would have wanted. And that would be water. And that's why he needed witnesses. As he puts that piece of paper onto the water, a very risky gamble, if you ask me, it reveals a name, Tobias Hawthorne. But then, just as it starts submerging into water, it reveals another two words. One to its right, one to the right of the name, and one to the left. And the words are find and second. Find Tobias Hawthorne the second. The end. The end of the first one. I think this is going to be a trilogy. I am about to dive into the second book, so let me know if you want a video on that one. I don't know. I, I've heard, rather, I've read, like, some Goodreads reviews on the second one, and apparently it's just really mellow. It isn't, like, as gripping as the first one. Although a lot of you might not find this one gripping, but I do. I love it, because I imagine everybody in my head, because it's a book that hasn't been made into a series or a movie and ruined yet which is what happens, in my opinion, when good books get ruined. So I can imagine it, and I'm Team Grayson all the way. I don't know if I made it obvious how many times he said it during this time. Why? Because he's Ed Westwick. Did you decide, was he Ed Westwick in the end, or was he Edgar Ramirez? No, I didn't. No, I cannot choose. Listen, it's really hard for me to choose between white or just Latino men in general. I, I like them black, just like my coffee, like the darkness of my heart, like the clothes I wear. <laughs> so retarded. <laughs> Can you get out of this video, please? What did you think about this one? Let me know in the comments. Let me know if you want me to read the other one. Well, I'm gonna listen to the audiobook anyways, okay? You can't stop me. What are you gonna do? Were you Team Grayson or Team Jameson? Did you like it? Do you like the mystery? And what other young adult books have gripped your old adult soul? Wow, you're about to trigger a couple of people here, okay? And if you are a young adult who is very much into this book, tell me everything. Tell me what you imagined, what you pictured after this situation. Who do you think should cast all these characters? Oh yeah, tell me all about it. All about how your wild, smutty minds work. Because I love it. I love it. So smart, and I love it. Jennifer, you did a good job, Jennifer. Well done. Well done on the mystery. Well done on the first part. At least don't disappoint me, Jennifer. Her name is Jennifer, right? Jennifer Lynn Barnes, it is. Okay, you're getting out of this video. I'm just taking off the rings. You know how life works. I tape taking my rings off. Okay. It's already gonna be like a two-hour video for no fucking reason. So, uh... Bye! <laughs> I'm not sure if you can see, but I'm doing that thing that, like, your grandparents do when I'm sliding on the iPad in my middle thing. <laughs> you know how, like, you would see teachers in school and they do that and you'd be like, oh my god, so laughable, like... Why are you wiping thing off the board with the middle of the finger? Like, mm, you're not fingering that board, you know? The board should not be fingered. And then you grow up, you finger a couple of things a couple of times, and now everything is that middle finger action. And that is that for the microphone track. <laughs>
escalated. Coming out of me right about now, who would you cast to play these characters? Who do you see? You have a vision, you see them all. Who is playing Avery? If this was to be made into a series, I'd have very conflicted feelings about it. Because I imagined all these characters in my head now. It's like Harry Potter. I couldn't watch it for about a decade and then I watched it and I was like disappointed. As I expected. So yeah, this is my new Harry Potter. This is why you should not bring young adult books, Maya. Are you a young adult? Just turned 29. That's almost 30. That's almost 31. That's almost 40. That's almost in the grave. Should you be reading young adult books? Well, that's almost in the grave. Jesus Christ. Well, unluckily, your family members live a long time, unless they get cancer, which you probably will. Well, let's chat. Where did this chat begin? Let's just go back to that. So casting of the characters. Who would you cast if this is a series? Or would you make it a movie? Maybe it would work better as a movie, wouldn't it? I just, listen, leave it at the book. Leave it to my imagination. It's where Fifty Shades of Grey should have stayed as well. Are you shamelessly admitting that you read Fifty Shades of Grey, all three of them, and then you also watch the movies? Forever disappointed, forever disappointed. And it's forever staying their careers as well. This season Fifty Shades of Red, there's literally no sex. What the fuck are you on about? On a very unrelated note, but if you are a young adult, or if you have went to school at some point, did you play mind games about where you sit? Where do you sit in school? Are you in one of the first rows? Or are you in like the middle or the last? Because I always planned, and literally every single teacher, it's like they're not the grown-ups. It's like they genuinely don't understand the psychology of this, okay? Listen to me. You need to sit in one of the first rows because literally everybody, most of the time, they're going to just neglect you because they always think that the ones hiding in the back are the ones that are hiding from something, whether it is answering questions or like raising their arms to like volunteer for something. So they're always gonna look there and they're going to surpass you so be blind buy glasses pretend you're nearsighted or whichever one it is and sit in one of the first rows <coughs> you okay there the air went through the wrong pipe funny when that happens with genitals shut up what is going so yeah that was the question and then ignore the rest of that sentence por favor averia Por favor, Averia! <laughs> Avery is such a dumb name, and her surname is just. I just. Why is it Graham's? Like, the audiobook made it sound like it's Graham's. It just sounds like normal pronunciation of the name. It has to fit the riddle. Everything has to fit the riddle. It doesn't. You okay? <laughs> you're really passionate about this, Grayson. Why didn't Grayson win? 